Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Creative Psychopaths. This is Mark just at the top of the show. This is the top of the show bit. This is the bit before you get into the bit that you're actually here for. Just to say, you know, get on whatever app you listen to podcasts on, give us a five-star review, share it around. Um, there's a link tree now which I'm going to put in the notes so you You've no excuse not to follow all the social media, so go, go do that. This week we're talking to Matthew's brother, Andrew, about uh, 1979 movie Alien. If you haven't seen that, then you really need to stop what you're doing and go watch that. But you can't be bothered to watch that. Listen to this instead. Um, or something along those lines. So yeah, it's a really good episode. Um, yeah, so the only thing you need to know going into this is, in mediocrity, nobody can hear you podcast. I don't really know what that means. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, Mark, and him, Matthew. Hello. Each week we meet and discuss horror movies with a guest and they tell us their horror history or just the two of us chatting, well, horror movies. It's a horror movie podcast, um, if that wasn't clear, the amount of times that I said that. Uh, today we are joined by a guest in Andrew, who we're going to say hello to now. Hello, Andrew. Hello, how are you, everything? Very good, very good, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm lovely. So as is tradition, we have to ask you how the weather is. Uh, it's, I, do you know what, it's uh, usually when people tell me that, because obviously I live in Spain, so obviously when people ask, oh, the weather in Spain must be beautiful, compared to what it's been like in the UK these last couple of days, uh, <laughs> It's we we we've been in the forties here, but this uh, we've got rain tonight, and we've been actually twi- touching like 25, 26 degrees today. So it's actually not too bad. Yeah, I think I've only just got back into solid form after uh, after the start of this week. Yeah, it yeah. sucked. Yeah, it was pretty warm. Yeah, every time you went outside, it was like that feeling when you get off the aeroplane. Every time, like like being punched in the face by the sun. Yeah. Never been yeah, so happy to go to work when they had aircon. It's uh, well, at least you have aircon in your work. I've been sat in a classroom with uh, ten to twelve smelly teenagers all sweaty at the same time. So, yeah, it's lovely. It's been lovely. <laughs> <laughs> the smell of links wafts through the room. The smell of links, Africa. You know what? I'm thirty. I'm thirty-five years old, and that still never changes. That smell of links, Africa, with kids. Why, why mess with the classic? Well, exactly. It's, it's beautiful. I suppose so, yeah. Well, yeah, there the you weather, go. The weather is equally as good in the UK as it is in Spain. Well, it's, it's gone downhill today, but it's about, <laughs> I'm fine with it, to be honest, because yeah. I'm not a hot weather guy. No, me, me, me neither, considering where I live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's weather chat. Does that count as forced banter? I'm not sure. Um it, it didn't feel of... particularly forced this time, was it? We all had a common uh, enemy. Yeah. With the sun. 
The and sun is the common enemy. Yes. And sweaty teens. No, we don't like those either. Yeah. Uh, let's no. see. Unless there are any sweaty teens listening. In which case, have a shower. Your mum and dad will thank you. Yeah, I will thank you. Um, <laughs> we thank you here at Creative Psychopaths for um, washing your sweaty areas. Hmm. <laughs> I think I read somewhere once that the smells like bacterial. So ideally you should have like an antibacterial because that gets rid of the smell. Um, that's interesting. BO facts today. Okay. So Dettol. <laughs> so. Um, All the disinfectants are available. It gets, it gets rid of sweat and COVID apparently. Yeah. You believe. Yeah. Is there anything it can't do? <laughs> Drive a car? Don't know. Put it in your petrol tank. Let's see. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That was a bit more forced, that banter. That, that was good. That was, that was better. That was better. Um, so let's get into the actual horror movie podcast now we've 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 done that bit. Um so I'm assuming you've got your answer questions, uh answers, whatever's sorted. Can't speak. Um, I have indeed. I have indeed. Yeah. So we're going to go into what is the first horror movie you can remember seeing? Uh, the first, the, the first one I actually really remember watching. Uh, I was, I was probably, I'd, I'd been what twelve. Uh, was the Blair Witch Project? Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. Did it have a profound effect on you at the time? Did it scare you so much that you didn't watch it, or did you bother straight out of you? Well, you, you, you know what? Because I, I, I still say to this day, you, you'll find out this later, but I still regard the Blair Witch Project as probably one of the best horror films ever made. Partly right. because of, partly because of the marketing that went into the Blair Witch Project was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, because yeah. obviously we're, we're looking at we're, we're sort of looking at sort of the early stages of the internet. And the producers and everyone else have managed to make this entire backstory for what felt like the best part of three years. So you really bought into the fact that this this thing was actually real. So when this footage and King came out, was it, you really bought into the fact that this could this actually happened? I remember you know, in it, the build up to the release, there was a Sky One documentary. It was basically just yeah, asking it, that question: like, is this thing real? There was the, the the marketing around the play, which was phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah, so, I I agree uh, totally, but I'm not entirely convinced that it holds up anymore as as being a, a a good movie because a it doesn't have that to fall back on, and b mm. it's only really remember memorable for one particular scene. Um, yeah. From but. You know, each to their own on that one. That I'm a, that, is, uh, that 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 and terrible sequels. <laughs> really oh yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of films we cover that have terrible sequels. <laughs> we need to. Uh, get... I'm actually uh, reading a book at the minute uh, called "Best Movie Year Ever" by Brian Raftery, and uh, it's all about 1999 in cinema, and he starts off with the Blair Witch Project, oh, right, and how right. it was. Uh, it was picked up at Sundance as this, uh, you know, sleeper uh, hit that I think it went for like a million dollars it was sold for there. Uh, and also they did the the tour 
of the film and then brought the cast out at the end and apparently people just lost the shit <laughs> just seeing that these people weren't actually, actually kidnapped yeah. by a by a witch in New York, I think. I can't, I can't, yeah, it's upstate yeah, New upstate York. Upstate New York, yeah, yeah. Oh, lovely. So I recommend the book, it's very good. There you go. Book recommendations as well. Wow, we're really going thick and fast here. Um, so did you become a horror fan at that point then? Do you think now's the time to yeah. dip into more of this? Well, it actually it actually came up kind of a lot later. Uh, right. because they, again, as I said, I was only about twelve years mm. old and it scared it scared the pants off me. Uh, <laughs> as did as 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 did uh one point of I think around the same time I watched and I say watched, I watched the opening of it was Scream for the first time. All right, yeah. Uh, I didn't get yeah. I, I, I didn't get much further than the telephone scene. But uh <laughs> uh what that actual night my parents went away and I was actually babysitting Matthew and my uh younger sister. Oh yeah, we, we are brothers, by the way, and listeners. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Uh and the phone rang and I absolutely uh yeah, as you could possibly imagine. Uh actually the, the, the part of the reason where I became more of a horror fan was actually twenty-eight days later. Oh right, okay. Uh as in the film, not twenty-eight days out late after the screen. Uh <laughs> it was actually twenty-eight days later. Uh that was probably where I became a bit more into interested in horror more than anything. I think Scream is like the cornerstone of this podcast, isn't it? It comes up so so frequently. It does, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's um, one of the um, yeah, like I say, uh, like you just said, a lot of people have either it was either the one that really draw drew them in, or you know, it's very memorable. It's really. Um, it's such, must have must have stood the test of time as well because people still remember it. Oh, I mean, uh, I, I saw it in a screen at the cinema last year, so you know, and it, it was a big screen and it and it was full, so people still love it. And yeah. keep making them as well. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna say something really embarrassing, but after that first time, it have been so traumatic of never watching Scream. I actually watched it fully for the first time in about two months ago, three, four months oh, ago. Oh, awesome. Screaming its entire. Did you like it? I didn't mind it actually. I thought it was. I, I think it kind of. Like, obviously, looking back on it now, it looks really parody. Of yeah, else. yeah. But it, it does sort of. You can kind. You can kind of see why it was incredibly influential. Mm. It kind of, ta- it essentially tapped into that sort of. I was to say it like kind of American pie esque kind of thing for horror genre more than anything. Yeah, yeah. It's very much that kind of like teenagers and things, you know. They kind of go hand in hand in that respect. It's kind of in this weird middle ground where it it sort of sent up the genre, and then created this new mm. thing that just got parodied in and of itself, didn't it? You know, yeah. things like scary movie, yeah. yeah, which which is so odd to have a parody of a parody. But there you go. But yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, you said to about twenty eight days later, which so that came out I think in two thousand two. And so, did you see it on the at the cinema yeah. and such like? Uh, no, I actually watched it a couple of years right. later because of um, well, you know, Sky or DVD. Yeah, I was just absolutely fixated by it. It's just that I don't know. It kind of it's, it's probably, if not better than Night of the Living Dead in terms of zombies. Yeah. something about it. It's just eerie, eerie. I don't 
know why it's it's violent, it's gruesome, it's fast pacing, it's it's everything. You know. Yeah, and I think, as I recall, I haven't seen it in a long time, but like the, well, they're not really zombies, are they? It's like an infected and they're more sort of sentient really than 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 zombies. So it's very, um, yeah, it's very good. Plus it has that sort of eerie London, which um, I think they, they filmed it really early in the morning. So it's like, you know. Yeah, it was like 4 a.m. or something. Yeah, anything like that, like wide open spaces where, you know, it feels disconcerting. It's a good movie, actually. I haven't seen that in ages. I, we might have to add that to the list, Matthew, and cover that at some point. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest with you; it's going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, so, yeah. so, what's the scariest horror movie? Oh, this is without a doubt. This is the Babadook. Oh, really? <laughs> the the Babadook. The Babadook scared the hell out of me. And it wasn't, and it wasn't initially watching it at the time. At the time, it's actually an incredible film. It was not being able to sleep for two days after. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely terrifying. Generally Even terrifying. now that the Babadook's a gay yeah. icon, it's still, it's still scary, yeah. isn't it? It's, 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 it's. As soon as to sort of like hear that that eerie Babadook voice, oh, it's something. You've got Baba Shook. Chills it. Chills it. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, the, the Babadook is a is one of probably the scariest movie I've ever seen in terms of in terms of the after effect more than yeah. I think it's one of those movies I think that's really polarizing. It, you either watched it and found it scary or you really didn't. You know, there was no sort of middle ground of going, Oh, that was a bit mm-hmm. scary because I was one of the no. people who came away from it going, It was a good film, but I didn't find it scary at all. But um like I say, a lot of people yeah. really got shook by it. It was uh, it got a reputation, really, didn't it, at the, at, at the time, especially, you know, given the internet and stuff. And like, oh, don't watch the Babadook. You'll poo your pants. But uh, I didn't. I think it, uh, <laughs> it does a good job, similar to what we're going to talk about in a bit, in that you, like the, the actual Babadook itself kind of doesn't really have a form, which I always thought was kind of scary about him because sometimes he was you know in, in the book and the cartoon and he looked like that when you got the glimpses of him sometimes he just looked like a dude in a costume and and you know also looked like the, that big black monster thing at the end didn't it i think that was kind of what it did it for me as well which kind of fits into how the film went because it was you know it's grief and depression and stuff and it's that stuff never looks the same at all so yeah, I thought it's pretty great design and design within the storytelling as well. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it was just, it just, maybe it was in my own mental health at the time. It just seemed that it was such an obvious um, look at what depression looks like outside of the mind that um, I guess I didn't get the scares from it, but I did feel something from it. Um but yeah, that's a good shout. That one. Uh, so, where are we on next? Uh, best kill. I'm going for a bit of a. I'm going for a bit of a comedy one here. Uh, the, the, the best kill is the Henrietta kill from uh, Evil Dead Two. <laughs> it never fails to. It never. It never fails to make me laugh at every possible opportunity, <laughs> and it is incredible. It, it, it just. It's from. From when uh, Ash originally cuts the head off to the sort of deflated balloon shell, <laughs> to 
to the to the fact of the the I swallow your soul to the weird choking sound considering he's just cut it from the neck and then the swallow this before blasting the head into smithereens with the most over over the top explosives of a head ever it ju- it's just re- it's the downright ridiculous of it all which makes it wonderful I think you get like three or four different kills in one. Yeah, it's just, it's got everything that I I, I love in terms of sort of like over the topness. It's just stupid sound effects, stupid music, and then just a a kill line that is just ridiculous. And it's well done as well. It looks good. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good good one. I know you don't need my approval every time. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I've started that. The Evil Dead 2's good is also a groundbreaking uh, opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so standout effects. It's actually one you've already mentioned. Okay. Uh it is the it's the eerie nobody in London from 28 years later. Is that an effect though? They just it is. they just filmed the London when there was nobody around. <laughs> I, yeah, but to be fair, that's an effect in itself. How on earth can you film London when there's nobody around? That that is more is, unlikely than I, 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 screen stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it, it it's as I I've been in London at four a.m. in the morning, and it is there is something very off-putting when you're on there's nobody around. Uh, for me, I know it's not quite a standout an effect, but it, it, in terms of the movie wise, it, it really does something. You really know that something's wrong. I kind of... uh, What's going on? I think the thing that I've always found most uh, unusual about that is is the litter. Like, because Mm. whenever you go around, you know, Houses of Parliament where it's shot, they do keep it pretty clean, because obviously that's that's where the politicians are, so they sort out their own nest, don't they? But when you see it on there, there's just, you know, paper everywhere, and it's blowing in the wind, and... It's just an unusual sight to see in that part of London on top of it being empty. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it's, I it's good. I know it's, I know it's not quite a visual effect, but... Yeah, no, I don't... Uh, you know, I don't accept that answer. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm so sorry. I, then I, I, I couldn't tell you what a best visual effect, standout effect, really. Say alien. We'll cover That's... it later. <laughs> Prometheus. I'll go with that one. Let's go with the prequel. Oh God. Um Yeah, yeah I, I think I think if American Werewolf and the Thing are the right answers, then that one was the wrong answer. No, no. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just kidding with you. You you're right. It it, <laughs> it was great. No, no, I'm I'm just kidding with you because uh, honestly, these are all your opinions and that's really what matters that's why we're here to find out what people like and what they don't like and i shouldn't even in a joking way i should do that because i promised myself i wouldn't <laughs> i know it's just, i know it was to be honest with you when i was writing it was a bit of a stretch of a of an effect you know well, this will do 28 days later nobody <laughs> you needed you needed to have it as an official answer for something <laughs> <laughs> so um let's see a movie that needs a sequel on movies that need to stop making sequels oh, again, but if you've got answers for both, you're more than welcome. Well, the the, the I, I thought I would sort of direct it in where I don't know if they've stopped this, 
and, and I, you, maybe you can help me out with this, but movies that really needed to stop after one was Wreck. Uh, oh, really? Wreck, Wreck is a really good horror film. I don't know why they needed to do what they did do six in the end. And English language remakes as well. Well, yeah, as well. Yeah. I just, they just needed to stop. Like, I don't know. Wreck was a really good film. And I don't know if they've stopped now, but. I think they have stopped now. I don't know how many sequels there were, but it's a surprise that you say that though, because Wreck 2 tends to be a lot of people's favorite of the, of the franchise. Wreck, Wreck. Wreck 2 is fine, but after yeah. 3, 4, 5 was... And then, as, as Matthew stated, the, they, had, they had Quarantine, which the American remake. It was just far too many of them in terms of... But yeah, it was way not needed. No, I never saw them. It kind, of, it kind of felt like it was going... going it kind of... Yeah, they don't watch it. It's not very good. I think compared to the Spanish one originally. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of you kind of felt like it was going down the sore route a little bit of way, overdoing it way too much and yeah yeah not really evolving. I on, certainly agree with really you with sore. And do, do you would you like yeah. to see a sequel to anything? Uh, uh, not to over repeat myself, but I think I've been waiting for twenty eight months later for the best part of about thirty years. Lots <laughs> <laughs> of things that I really love. I really wanted that movie once. Point, but in terms of sequels, I'm not I'm not really that bothered about anything really being done as a sequel again no no i think i quite enjoyed no. the sequel to 28 days later is it 28 weeks later um, it is yeah 28, 28 yeah. weeks later, i think yeah. i quite enjoyed it because is that robert carlisle's in that one that's that's yeah. the one yeah. yeah i quite yeah. enjoyed that one so yeah no you're right yeah i mean i kind of wanted i wanted the continuation yeah let's have a sequel you know to what? that so just looking at the cast now it really is stacked Jeremy yeah. Renner, Rose Byrne, yeah. Idris Elba as well. I don't remember Idris Elba being in it. It's, di- it's directed by a Spanish. It's directed by a Spanish director oh, as well. Try, trying to play to the home crowd, then. That's. Uh... <laughs> I am doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is your favorite franchise? Favorite franchise is Evil Dead, from all the series to the television series as well that they made, to the even even to the games. I love the games of Evil Dead from from. As a franchise itself, that's yeah. By by state the best. Picture. I need to play the new one. Yeah, is that out now? It is. Yeah, mm. I think so. Yeah, but you can actually play the Deadites as well, which is quite an interesting. Oh yeah, that's something else. Yeah, something new. I, I, I'm yeah. I'm with you on Evil Dead. That's it. That's a that's a good franchise. Uh, and there's some good Evil Dead comic books and crossovers as well. If I remember. Remember Marvel Zombies versus Army yeah. of Darkness, which I really yeah. liked. In that, I think in that comic yeah. book, Ash gets eaten by a zombie, Howard the Duck. Um, but it's I mean, that really? sounds like the greatest piece of culture oh, ever. But it's not Ash. It's not actually yeah. him. It's a different Ash. <laughs> uh, very odd. <laughs> uh, I want that in. I, I officially want that in movie form. <laughs> Ash eaten by yeah, zombie Disney, so, Disney, so Disney if you the, the Disney own Evil Dead because like they need to buy it just for that if not yeah I don't know they own Sam Raimi now though don't they so um, yeah yeah so maybe it'll happen maybe we'll see Marvel Zombies versus Army of Darkness <laughs> yes give us it we want it we want uh, we want that now do it 
Uh, so what's the worst horror movie you've seen? I was actually going to cause a, a family uh, palaver with this, but I changed my answer. Uh, the, the worst horror film I've seen is The Invisible Man, that uh, remake that came out a couple of years ago. Well, right, I'm going, going Piers Morgan on this and storming off. I will not have that slander on my podcast. Really? Uh, it's a fantastic film. It's all right. Did, did you want to know the one I was I'm originally sure going to see? I do. Hereditary. Right, uh, we're ending this. We're ending this right now. <laughs> There's no room. Sorry. I, I apologize. I'm genuinely not surprised by Hereditary. If somebody comes along and says Hereditary, it doesn't surprise me at all. Because there's plenty of horror groups that, that I'm on on Facebook. And whenever it comes up, and it comes up way too much, it is a really polarizing opinion. You either like it or you don't. doesn't come um, enough. <laughs> I think I think I think the way that I saw it as well because in in uh, uh, where I live we actually have a a, a driving cinema oh. and we actually saw we actually saw Hereditary at a driving cinema. It was the sort of the setting to watch. Should have put a lamppost next to your car. Really... That brother knew what to do to his siblings. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but no, I'll, I'll I'll go I'll I'll go back to the Invisible Man. I did not like that at all. I thought it was very, very predictable in the way that it was working around in terms of the film. Uh, that one yeah. does surprise me because I can't, I can't. Well, to be fair, it's probably very similar to Hereditary in that way, whereas it's very slow build and, um, you know. But it's, yeah. I think the uh, the paint scaring. I just, I just, man, I think was. Oh, muy bueno. Yeah, really. I, I, I kind of, I, I think, I think partly as well because I, again, I don't know what it could have been like for the UK, but I, I remember that that was in the trailer for the Spanish television running. So when it kind of happened, you kind of went, "Oh, I kind of knew that was coming." Yeah, right. So the, the sort of the big reveal of the film was kind of spoiled before even going to the cinema. So that that probably didn't help my help the case really. But no, I did, I did, I didn't like that film very much at all well, so. don't say we never bring controversy here <laughs> no I'm, I'm surprised i must admit i'm surprised by that answer but you know again like i say it's your opinions and you're more than welcome to them even if they are wrong <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so what is your favorite <laughs> horror movie uh get out hey <laughs> get out no. <laughs> sorry get, I already told that to you yes. um, no, you've... Yeah. No, get, 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 get Out is my favourite horror film oh right okay I, I, I think it's I, I think it, it, it's not a, not even just in horror I think it's a genuinely fantastic piece of cinema in general yeah I must admit I, I agree I, that's, that's a really that's a really great horror film it wouldn't it wouldn't rank up in probably my top 10 but i can understand why people mm. people love it i think it's um, kind it, of got that uh, yeah. that generational aura about it now hasn't it yeah yeah and it's definitely something different um and blumhouse no less i think it kind of cuz yeah i think it cuz it kind of played on the on a lot on the thriller aspect instead of going into the full sort of blood gore supernatural thing that was kind of happening around at the time it was kind of it played into sort of that sort of like 
Hitchcock-esque Stanley Kubrick kind of thriller-esque point, and then it went all hell for loose towards the end. But yeah, I, I just thought it was clever. The sort of a little bit of like body snatches kind of thing as well. It was sort of really, it was really well crafted. Yes, yeah, it's a really good film. And like I think when Chloe was on here the other day, it, it it's it's got some decent comedy in it as well. We were saying, you know, so it's yeah, you know, it yeah. Uh, overall, it works works really well. Um, it's, it's it's comedy as well with not overdoing it, which is sort of you can you can find yourself doing a lot sometimes. You can overdo the comedy and it making it look kind of hokey and a little bit terrible, yeah. sort of take diminishing it, and kind of doing just enough. Of yeah, it. it's never silly. It feels like genuine moments mm. of comment of of comedy or levity, if you like. Um, you know, in in, the, in this yeah. situation. So yeah, no, I kind of think that you you need yeah. that release of a laugh to sort of build up elsewhere and like you say a lot of filmmakers kind of get desperate for the laugh whereas you know yeah jordan peele's you know comedian for years wasn't he so you know it's come must uh come a bit easier to him or you know must uh hone his craft a bit more and, and knows how to just drop them in a bit more casually yeah yeah um that was my final opinion on that. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, um, well, there you go. Then that's the first slice of bread in the horror sandwich. Um, we've taken the bread or whatever bread substitute you go for. Let's not get too bogged down in the sandwich again. Although I do need to know what filling you would have in a sandwich. Me personally. Yeah, you personally. I would. Uh, do you know? What? I've just had it for lunch to, uh, for dinner today. Actually, I would probably have an omelette. I kind of kind of in a Spanish omelette esque mood for sandwiches at the moment. So that was my that was my dinner today. Omelette sandwich. That's oh yes. That's going to be filling that. It's, it really is. That's why we have it for well, dinner. Like like right. a big omelette sandwich. I think this film is going to be <laughs> uh, rather filling because I have a lot of notes. <laughs> Fun. So, so let's let's get into the movie then, which yeah. is Alien, and Matthew's doing his thing now. Absolutely. So it is from 1979, as uh, I'm sure a lot of people know, and it's directed by some chap called Ridley Scott. Uh, I think he seems a bit like a one-and-done kind of guy. Yeah, Not much else from him. Uh, written by uh, Dan O'Bannon and Ronald uh, Shusset, I'm going to pronounce it, uh, who... Surprisingly, I haven't done all that much more uh, for writing. They said they worked on the franchise quite a lot. And apart from that, the only thing of note that I really found was uh, Total Recall. And... Yeah. Um, interestingly, they wrote, they were writing the two of those movies together. I think it was Dan O'Bannon had the idea for Alien and the other guy whose name I can't remember what was, sorry, he was doing the screenplay for for Total Recall and they sort of finished Alien and then did Total Recall which the only other interesting thing about Dan O'Bannon was that he works on John Carpenter's first film The Dark Star which um, had a terrible alien in it and while they were making that he was his thing was I'm going to make a movie one day with a good alien in it (laughs) well I I don't think uh don't think it's going to ruin the podcast if we say that he succeeded because 
you know, it's alien. It's a classic, isn't it? Uh, yeah. we, we normally don't talk about them either, but I'm, I am going to give a special mention to uh, Derek Van Lint, who was the uh, director of photography on this, because this film looks incredible. It, uh, it is a bleakly beautiful film, and I think he deserves a shout out for it. And okay. The, the- the one thing that I was going to mention later on, but so as soon as we're running down credits, the one thing that I that struck me particularly beautiful in, in Alien was the music is so sparse, particularly throughout the first sort of oh, first half of the movie. Yeah. It's just like I was looking for, so the, so the music was written by a guy called Jerry Goldsmith. I was like looking at his uh, rundowns of what he did. He's kind of the perfect person to sort of match this sort of horror with sci-fi. So he did he did things like Planet of the Apes, he did Logan's Run, and then to add that other, he also did The Omen, he did Poltergeist. It's sort of like this. His even his composition repertoire is the perfect blend of horror and so yeah, sci-fi. His Venn diagram is like right in the middle of this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he fits lovely into that as yeah, well. Well, he he can get on the. Uh... On the cast run, that credits run down as well, and then, yeah, another just absolutely stellar cast for this, and just incredible. So we've got uh, Tom Skerritt as Dallas, Sigourney Weaver as Ripley, uh, Veronica Cartwright as Lambert, Harry Dean Stanton as Brett, John Hurt as Kane, uh, the, uh, the just a chap in Alien, not the wrestler. Ian Holm as Ash, uh, Yafe Koto as Parker, and then Balaji Badejo as the alien, and Helen Horton, uh, well, the voice of Helen Horton as mother. And then, yeah, the film uh, was budgeted at 11 million US dollars and box office to 106.3 million. So, huge success. And, uh, well, should we get into why that might be? Yeah. I think I was the only thing I was going to say is apparently Sigourney Weaver beat Meryl Streep out to the role. Yeah. I I can't see Alien with Meryl Streep. No, no. no I, well, I think that's probably that's probably why she beat her out to it. And obviously, this is Sigourney Weaver's breakout role. And and again, yeah. she's just gone on to just be the absolute, you know, queen of sort of sci-fi horror sort of uh, material, isn't she? You know. Ghostbusters, Paul, Cabin in the Woods, like she's a stamp of approval for any sort of film like this. Can't forget Heartbreak because that was a horror of a film. <laughs> so I don't think I've seen it, so yeah, I'll know to avoid that. Jennifer Love Hewitt in here. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Jason Lee as well. Yeah. I mean, I've <laughs> never seen it. <laughs> I'm ashamed I have. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, let's crack on with the plot. So uh, we uh, we open uh, just on the vast nothingness of space and uh, we we actually see the, the title come in in uh, sort of line by line, not all in order. And I think, again, that's sort of sets up the whole film just in the way that the title produces itself because it's just this slow build up to an alien and it comes in pieces and it's sparse and blank and it, it's a weirdly good setup for something as simple as just the name of the movie 
And I've always hated that bit. Have you? Yeah. I knew it was going to be controversial for me to say that, but I thought, you know, opinions are better, are better throw me in. You just want to jump straight but, into the action. No, I, I, I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about it. I, I don't know why. I think it's just the way that the letters come in that it just bugs me. <laughs> Fair enough. A man, a man of order. Everything <laughs> yeah, because I think it does start with the N. Yeah, you know, the, the the first bit of the first letter is the end. So that's, I, I'll I'll let you have it. <laughs> but uh, we see the uh, the ship come into uh, to view, and we find out that it is a commercial towing vehicle called the Nostromo, and it has a crew of seven, and is a cargo ship um, with a ref- it's a refinery processing twenty million tons of mineral ore, and it's returning to Earth again. It's great setup, you know. It tells you straight away it's a small cast, you know. Few, you know, people are few to be involved, and whatever is going to happen in the film, it's headed for Earth. And so we uh, we actually see inside to the ship after that, and it's just full of dark corridors. There's no people about pipes, dark corridors. Not much uh, going on. It it kind of looks damp the whole time. It kind of, it kind of, as you, as you mentioned, sort of even with the credits, you, you sort of see that it it sets up everything of this really dark, eerie ship of like looks. It kind of sets you off in that uncomfortable tone with nobody's around. Shows you straight away it's somewhere that you don't want to be. Yeah, the the, the one thing that I did notice because obviously Alien comes uh, two years after. Uh, but obviously this is my favourite film, but it comes two years after Star Wars. But, and it, what, well, the one thing I noticed specifically about the ship was what you said, Matthew, is that it, it looks dark and horrible, but somewhat clean as well. Whereas as I compared it to, you look at the, like the Millennium Falcon, which is this just complete chaos of the ship. You know, it, it's sort of, it, it, it had the, the, the sleekness and dampness of the unsettled, kind of make to me made it much more kind of as i said unsettling in that respect doesn't look quite as lived in. yeah yeah it looked it looked like nobody's been there for you know for however how long you've been frozen for whatever so well, that kind of set me apart a bit yeah but we realize why it hasn't because after that it moves on to uh the crew who we are found that are all in uh, in sleeping pods and as the Nostromo flashes into life with some computer readings, uh, John Hurt sits up. Uh, he's going to be called John Hurt throughout the film now as well. Most of the cast are going to be referred to by their real names. And I think on my notes, only Ripley and Ash get uh, character names. Because <laughs> it was either call him Ash or call him Bill Wall Baggins. And I'm, he deserves more respect than that. Uh, but they, uh, yeah, so the, all the, car, the crew of the ship uh, all stir and then we uh, we cut to them sharing a meal and we we sort of get, start getting the dynamics of the ship so we see that yeah Yaffe Cotto and Harry Dean Stanton are arguing about money uh, discussing the bonus situation and what's going on and we also see that Tom Skerritt is the uh, is in charge of the ship and basically tells them you'll get what you want uh, so you'll get what you're contracted to and then he wanders off and goes into a separate computer room and then we also see that uh, Ripley 
John Hurt and Veron uh, Cartwright are all sort of the pilots and they're, they're crewing the ship. And turns out they're actually uh, well away from Earth and have been woken up because of an intercepted transmission of unknown origin. This point, sort of they argue about what to do with it because they've been stopped because of some rescue call. And say kind of naturally, the uh, the crew, mostly uh, Cotto and Stanton, don't really want to check it out because they see it as not their job. And they basically arguing that, yeah, the commercial and not a rescue ship, but Ash comments and says that there's a clause that in their contract that says they must investigate uh, any distress signals. Uh, if they don't, they will have a total forfeiture of the shares for the job. And so we listened to the transmission and I thought this was kind of really creepy um, how it sounded. And it was coming from a small planet uh, that can be walked on. So I think that's, again, kind of something that I you don't, even now you don't really see that much in sci-fi where people take a more, I want to say, realistic approach to yeah. space exploration. So it's like they, they check the the atmosphere they check the gravity like they do a lot of preparation that you actually see uh before going to check this out yeah they do a good job of like grounding the characters despite given the you know, the sort of situation that they're in it grounds them back in reality whereas you know, going back to what you were saying about like talking about money and stuff but in this you get the investigation into you know what it is, where they're going. It's not just story beats that move on to the next thing. You, yeah, you you kind of yeah. feel that if you know something wasn't quite right, or there's no, there's not quite enough gravity that they would have gone. Okay, we can't do it, and they'd bugger off. You know, <laughs> yeah. And alien does alien does this. It does the wonderful thing, even just from the beginning parts, as you mentioned, sort of. The, 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 the two fellas talking about money, the, the whole debate, it, you really sort of, you start to understand the characters straight from the very first moment. The, the, the build is already there in terms of, you know, you basically, you, you understand the characters a lot more, which is probably why you empathise with the books way further later on. Yeah, you, you know who's who and, and the dynamics of the group straight yeah. from the off, basically. Yeah. yeah. And also, it just makes it super normal as well, couldn't you? You know, you, you could easily, you know, set this scene on a submarine or something, you know, a, a, a haulage ship, something like that, and, and have the exact same conversations. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I, I like the way that they do the dynamic with the um, with the team. It works really well. And then, again, it, after. So they decide to check it out. There's another bit as well, which I also thought kind of makes it realistic-ish in that they, they, they move the ship down to the planet where the signal's coming from. And you always see, you know, Star Wars ships and, and Star Trek, they, you know, they take off and land and they're graceful and fast moving. Like 
this shit, it it moves, you know, like a Robin Reliant. It's <laughs> it's heavy, it's slow, it can <laughs> barely turn. It you know, it feels like a real struggle just to land it. And then even when they do, the hole's breached. Yeah, it's um, just it's just because it because it doesn't go on a surface that's quite even. It literally just hits a rock that looks like it could be crushed, and it it just breaks basically. Yeah, and it's like yeah, yeah. Any anyone who who's got a job grumbles about the equipment that they've got to do the job with, don't they? And it's it's that exact same thing. It's like of course they don't have this incredible spaceship that can glide and land on a glacier. You know it's. <laughs> They've got a big chunky box that uh, that can barely fly. Yeah, because they're basically it's basically a truck, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's small details that are, are absolutely beautiful. And, yeah, but yeah, but the hull is breached and uh, so it needs repairing. And uh, Yafir Koto and Harry Dean Stanton are the you know the engineers that sort of the grunt workers. Uh, advise that it's going to be 17 but they tell them it's going to be 25 hours to fix it because again that's exactly what you're doing in a job when you're disgruntled uh, but they do realize that they have landed it and they're in walking distance from the distress call so they go out to find it and it is uh, john hurt cartwright and stanton uh, sorry not stanton skerritt who go out to investigate and they find a structure, and Ash, who's watching them from the ship, you know, he's never seen anything like it. Uh, so it's at this point where I think it's probably the first horror beat of it is sort of the comms start to get scratchy and cut out. So you, the uh, the crew on the the ground, say get cut off a little bit. Uh, that's actually that's actually another moment actually talking about when you said the equipment with the com scratch how terrible the equipment is in the ship yeah from the stripe of the very go it looks like looks like these pre it's like looks like the plane on an atari <laughs> the whole time of the things <laughs> it's just like and as it said you could it's not surprising that it cuts out the further they get away from it regardless of the weather it's it's still on 3g the equipment is terrible yeah <laughs> But, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So uh, the crew on the planet go into this uh, into this structure, which looks like uh, some sort of craft. And again, it's dark, quiet, and and this is enormous antechamber. And they find some sort of uh, I don't know, it's a, a big skeleton, exoskeleton that they find of a of a dead creature. And then we go back to the ship where they decipher the message and they establish that it's actually a warning rather than a distress call. Um, Ripley tries to go and help the crew to let them know that it's a warning, uh, but Ash stops her, basically says, what What are you going to do uh, to help them now? And then we cut, cut back to the crew on the, the planet and John Hurt finds... Uh, Basically, some eggs and pods that are covered in uh, mist, very creepy and uh, spooky a bit. Uh, moors at midnight. I want to add something to this. Uh, the 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 mist and the blue lasers actually belong to the Who. 
uh, who were uh, rehearsing for a tour in the next sound studio. So all that equipment in regards to that belonged to the Who that they borrowed really cheaply so they could get that effect. So they're all slot machines and lasers from a Who tour, I'm assuming. It would be 1979, so or 70 earlier. So I'm assuming sort of quadrophenia kind of area. So there you go. Oh, there you have it. Wow. Yeah. Some that nice trivia. Yeah. 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 I always forget in this bit. I always forget about the engineer because, like, I haven't watched. I haven't watched this movie that many times. So I'm always like, I know they go to the 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 thing and find the egg. Um. But yeah, I always forget about the engineering. It's a hell of a thing, a hell of a set design. Um, and I know you're getting to the egg now, but that looks amazing. Yeah, so the uh, so it's like a, a pod, isn't it? And it, it? It does just look living. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure I want to say the best, you know, best uh, prop or effect in the film, but it's. Yeah, it's right up there. It looks great. Uh, but yeah, so he investigates this pod and something shoots out of it and it, it latches sort of like, we don't really see it go through, but it smashes right into John Hurt's face. Uh, he's got his uh, his helmet on. Uh, but then he's brought back to the ship and they're, they're in the uh, sort of compression pod before the main body of the ship and Skerritt's trying to get get him in uh, so that he can be looked at by uh, the infirmary. And Ripley basically turns around and says, no, it's against the quarantine procedures. Uh, they need to be there for 24 hours. Right here. They're clean. Let us in. What happened to Kane? Something has attached itself to him. We have to get him to the infirmary right away. What kind of thing? I need a clear definition. An organism. Open the hatch. Wait a minute. If we let it in, the ship could be infected. You know the quarantine procedure. 24 hours for decontamination. It could die in 24 hours. Open the hatch. Listen to me. If we break quarantine, we could all die. Look, could you open the goddamn hatch? We have to get him inside. No. I can't do that. And if you were in my position, you'd do the same. Repeat, this is in order. Open that hatch right now. Do you hear me? Uh, but so the uh, scary shouts at her, says, you know, we've got someone that urgently needs help. Uh, Ripley refuses again, uh, but then Ash opens a door, basically says they need medical attention. This will, be, this will become a running thing throughout the, the, the whole of this, but it, it, we're, we're, we're half an hour, 40 minutes into the film, and already Ripley's twice about, is right twice about two things. Oh wow! Well, I mean, you like, know, like, we, she she never gets listened to on this ship at all. We, we've so. discovered, you know, over the last few years that you know don't mess with quarantine measures. Yeah, they, they make your life easier. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good reason that laboratories are normally sterile and secure, yeah. and that health and safety measures are there for a reason. Uh, <laughs> you know, Ash is basically GB news here, isn't he? Just ignoring the advice and. Uh, yeah, just doing his own thing. And he's a science officer. He should know this stuff. Yeah. Well, this is this is the, the, the this is the first sort of uh, sort of besides you know John Hurt with the thing on his face. This is the sort of the first part of the film where something is really starting to become wrong, and not because there's this 
unknown creature on it. It's mainly with Ash. You, you can. This is the first part where you'd sort of see that something's not quite right there. There's a, there's, he's had a couple there's of part. moments, hasn't he? Uh, he's, had, he's had sort of three moments now, right? So he first told, uh, you know, Cotto uh, and Stanton that you've got to go investigate this thing because it's in your contract. Uh, yeah. He stopped Ripley going to warn them, and now he's broken the quarantine rules. But but this is this is but the the first two, you can you, you kind of look at it as a point of okay, well if it's in a contract, they should have known it would have been signed, and then the whole thing with as he said what he says to Ripley of what are you going to do now is actually a generally fair point. Like she's they're far from the ship, and there's nothing she could really do. But this is this first inclination of just like there's something quite not right about this guy. I think everything, even this can be, it's such good writing for what we're going to get to in that it's, again, even this can just be hand waved away. You know, his friends just got some alien on his face, you know? Yeah. If I was in that position, I'd I'd probably break the rules to to look after someone. Yeah. I was going to say, and you know, Obviously, we're not spoiling this film because it's been for me years, <laughs> been out for a long time. But I think that you pick up on them those things the second time around, yeah. or like you know, like it doesn't. It's not. It's not totally obvious um, to start well, with. Um, it uh, say so, yeah. Well, I mean, when we when we get to it, it, it's it's things like this that make it believable, but written so well that it's still shocking. Yeah. And it's yeah, but they get him in. The, they get John Hurt into the lab, and they cut through the helmet, and he's got a face hugger on him. And this is the first time that I actually noticed that the tail from what's latched on him is actually wrapped around his neck, which I thought yeah. was, I don't know, it, it was weirdly creepy to me as well. You know, not only is this thing on its face, it's like potentially strangling him as well, but. Uh, yeah, Ripley comes down to check on them, and she uh, she doesn't have a good time of it. So Cartwright gives her a crack, and they have a bit of a uh, a bit of a, a rumble, and then Tom Skerritt just yells at her for uh, for not letting them in uh, against his orders, even though she was you know right on everything. Uh, but uh, they put John Hurt in this scanner, and they realise that the alien is paralysing him. Uh, it puts him in a coma, but it keeps him alive. And they think they worry that if they remove the, uh, you know, the alien, that it uh, it might kill him. But what's it got down his throat? I would suggest it's feeding him oxygen. Paralyzes him, puts him in a coma, and keeps him alive. Now, what the hell is that? Well, we gotta get it off him. Just a minute. Just a minute. I mean, let's not be too hasty. We don't know anything about it. Now, we're assuming it's feeding him oxygen. If we remove it, could kill him. Yeah, they give it a good go anyway. Uh, so they tried to get it off, and they cut the face hugger, and its blood burns through at least two levels of the floor, which is, again, great little touch, because... This thing's got, well, an incredible defense system. Even if you 
kill it, chances are you're going to get blood on it and it's going to dissolve you. Yeah, even after this, Ash is researching it and he still doesn't really know what it is, but like we just said, he knows it's tough. And then Ripley bollocks him now for letting uh, them on board, tells him that he's risking everyone's life, not just John Hurt. And again, like we, uh, we just said, that it's not a decision that is out of the manual. You know, it's not standard procedure. And I think he, he, he does it. Come to, he actually comes to a point and he says when he doesn't care about the procedure, does it? Yeah, he says he, he's caring for, for John Hurt and it's a risk he's willing to take, which again, yeah. you know, you, you'd think is a fair enough reasoning generally, but we hear though that something has happened in the infirmary and the uh, the crew go there and the uh, the face hugger's gone and again we get a little jump scare uh the the, uh, the alien falls down and it looks like it's it's pretty much dead uh, so ash takes it away to study it and wants to what i did oh sorry what i did um notice about that scene where they're searching for the face hugger there's no music at all it's it really builds the tension in that scene where they're looking for it because like I say, there's nothing to distract from it. It's very, it was very notable. I mean, this film's lacking in music generally, isn't it? It doesn't have loads, but that particular scene and I really picked up on it. Like give me something to break the tension. Well, a jump scare. I think that's That's, uh... what makes it Yeah, but even even the jump scare in itself, there's there's nothing really music behind of it to sort of really back it up like in, in traditional ways it kind of just appears yeah there's no uh, big slam or anything is there you know or... no it's it's just really just a moment it's it's great in that the music the music plays as big as a role in this entire film i'll not i've noticed throughout yeah there's a lot of times i think while they were on the uh sort of the, the craft on on the planet that there was a lot of like wind noise I think even still when they're on the ship a bit, there's just like, it's not like a howling wind, but just like it's noticeable noise under everything. Yeah. 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 And, uh, it's, it certainly uh, just adds to, uh, to a bit of a feeling of uh, it being just, creepy. It just, it, it's, it just makes the whole, it's, it's, it's that expression, isn't it? From I think it was actually the tagline for this movie, wasn't it? Which was in space. Nobody can hear you scream. Yeah, wasn't that the tag? Wasn't that the tagline for that movie? It kind of feels that point of like with there actually being the zero sound throughout most of the film. Yeah, yeah, it's... yeah. I think it was the tagline for this. It movie. was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it, it was, was the yeah. tagline, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I've got uh, in space. No one can hear you. Podcast lined up for when we start doing the marketing for the episode. <laughs> So yeah, so after this uh, jump scare, uh, sort of they take it back to study. Uh, Ash wants to take it back to Earth, and Skerritt goes along with him. Uh, Ripley, being right as always, doesn't like it and argues it said just get out of the airlock and send this thing on its way because it's we've already seen its blood can melt through steel floors. So what else is it going to do? And Skerritt just basically turns around and says, look. I just do what the company wants me to do. I'm not in charge here. And then... He's, he's making... a useless captain, isn't he? 
he's he's good in that he's he's you know kind of authority, but we get that his hands are tied by this big corporate machine behind yeah. him, which yeah, like certainly in my professional life, bosses are like that, aren't they? You know that. You know, they, they can be great and, and know all the stuff, but eventually someone above them is just going to make bad decisions if uh, that they don't agree with yeah. and they just have to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it also goes back to what we were saying before about, um, you know, the way that this ship, ship is set up as it's, they're just normal people. You know, it's not, he's not Captain Kirk or or anything like that. You know, he's not some huge space captain. He's just, Happens to be the manager of that ship. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's David Brent. <laughs> <laughs> sounds me, sounds crazy dancing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, spoiled or made it better. He's uh, but he's going to make another bad decision now because they <laughs> take off uh, the ship, even though they're not fully prepared and the repairs haven't been taken, but it's enough to get them up in the air. Yeah, so the the. Crew then discuss sort of what to do. Uh, basically, say that they should freeze John Hurt in stasis because it's better trying to get him to Earth and look after him there than it is uh, trying to do what uh, they need to do there on the ship. But turns out uh, that he's actually up and about, and the face huggers doesn't appear to have left any ill effects. So problem solved. They all decide that they're just going to go back into space, stasis and then wake up on Earth. But we'll have a meal first. So again, they're all just sort of around the table eating, having a laugh as sort of a crew of that kind would. Uh, when John Hurt begins coughing, having a rough time of it, falls on the table in pain, he's getting held down, trying to force something for him to bite down on. And we just see a blood spatter appear on his chest. And then the classic scene, the alien just bursts right the way through and explodes him from the inside out. And before we talk about the scene, I just want to highlight a very important cinematic trend that this actually started. And that is John Hurt suffering in movies. <laughs> because he has had a rough time of it after that. So I did just have a you know, a quick look through through his IMDb. And after Alien, he did The Elephant Man, where he was The Elephant Man. Uh, History of the World, part one, where he was Jesus. So, you know, if you've seen Passion of the Christ, you know what that was like, even though it was a Mel Brooks film. Uh, 1984, he was tortured and re-educated before being killed. Uh, Harry Potter, he was tortured in that. V for Vendetta, he was beaten up and then killed, even though he was a dictator in it. Uh, Indiana Jones, he was driven insane by the Crystal Skull. Tinker Taylor, soldier spy, he was sacked from his job because of espionage. Uh, Snowpiercer, he was disabled and living in abject poverty on a train in a post-apocalyptic snowscape. And in Hercules, the rock pushed an enormous statue on him. I mean, John Hurt has really not we, had a good time in his movie career. I, we, I know he's dead, but we need to do something nice for him still. <laughs> uh, the nicest thing I can think to happen of is there's a street named after him, like a 10-minute walk from me. Really? Yeah. 
It's uh, John Hurt's place. It's uh, home to some new flats because he's uh, well, he grew up in the uh, the village where uh, where I live. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, his, his dad was the vicar here. <laughs> but yeah, something nice needs well, to happen to John Hurt. <laughs> Wasn't he in Spaceballs? Didn't he die of this same thing twice? Uh, he, he played himself in Spaceballs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the alien bursts out of him again. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> he believe he even says not again, doesn't he? On it? He does, yeah. Uh, that's relatively... So he was... Uh, I don't know what it is. It was actually, uh, yeah, he was good friends with Mel Brooks uh, because Mel Brooks actually produced The Elephant Man, which I only found out recently. Really? Oh, and The Fly. Did he? He, yeah. he did, yeah. Fought very hard for Jeff Goldblum to get the role as well. Hmm. I wasn't in my episode. I don't remember that coming up. I, I, I only found that after the episode where aired, so I couldn't share, I'm afraid. No, it's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll go back and edit us a little bit. In. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but yes, so back on subject, what are we making of the chestburster scene? Well, I mean, it's the, 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 it's obviously, it's probably one of the most iconic moments in sci fi, not just sci fi, but horror history generally. It's, it's everybody knows that scene. You know, it, it's, it, I, I did this actually as a Halloween thing. I'm, teaching jump scares with my kids and they all knew it. We're looking at 15-year-old kids and they all knew the scene. Like, it's, it's, it's something about it that everybody just seems to know. It's that perfect blend of sort of shock, gross out, but at the same time, grounded and relatable. Well, do, do you know, I mean, I mean, I... I don't know whether this is true. It's obviously from what you obviously hear from whether you're reading on the internet is that none of the cast knew this was happening. So the reactions are genuine. They were genuinely scared that John Hurt was choking, first of all. And then generally uh, the, the, the genuine terror on their face when the blood splatters and it comes through his chest is, is apparently a genuine reaction. I think and if it that's was, true... I think it was... Uh like the amount of blood and stuff. I think they said it was going to happen because, yeah, obviously it's a, it takes a lot to set up right. that shot. But then they just yeah. dialed up the blood to really gross the cast out. So, so maybe so because obviously the their reactions were mainly genuine. Yeah, which I think is, I think that sells the scene a lot more. Yeah, than, you know, because you you, you can sort of you, you understand their reaction because we would do the same thing if well, I mean, that we, was going to happen. In the, we do the same film, uh, don't we? <laughs> we we yeah. recoil and uh, yeah, get grossed out by it. I think that's the main thing that I always take out of that scene is that the reaction to it is so genuine that it really, it just, you know, it works as a scene because obviously it's an amazing special effect. Um, but like I say, the, the reaction is, um, 
it just work. It just makes it work. Makes it work so much yeah. more as a scene. Yeah. Just and what's and, and uh, what? Sorry. What I found surprising the most as well is that the like going onto the alien itself is that it didn't look bad, which actually surprised me more than anything. I thought it looked kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't look. It didn't look tacky. It didn't look outdated. I think when it, you know, uh, it it's, when it first jumps out, I did notice there's a bit of camera trickery when it runs off. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. It, uh, it 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 also feels like it looks around everyone as well. Like, yeah. how many people are here? <laughs> Fuck you! I'm out here. But it, again, just <laughs> before it does scarper, uh, there's another little ash moment where he says, "Don't touch it." So yeah. he, he basically lets the alien run off in the ship. Yeah, it's. <laughs> it's it, it's an incredible scene in general. Mm. The, the whole thing. So, in the aftermath of uh, of the scene, then the uh, the crew decide uh, to basically hunt this alien, get it trapped, and then get it in the airlock and blow it out of the ship. Uh, so they split up to uh, to do that, and Ripley goes with Harry Dean Stanton and Yafe Koto. And they say they're looking down at the uh, the engines and the pipes, and they hear something. And turns out it's just a cat, uh, which which cat. legs it. Good old Jonesy. Yeah, <laughs> cats are always good for a jump scare, aren't they? Yeah, and just to mess things up. It's because that's what they actually do in real life. <laughs> they, 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 they just. They, they they just appear at the, the most inappropriate moments. So I actually you know. saw my, my friend's cat the other day and it absolutely stared into my soul. Right, if, yeah. If Damien from <laughs> yeah. the Omen was a cat, it, it was this one. It was it was terrifying. <laughs> Everyone else was uh, was really lovely with it though. He's petting it cute, but yeah, for some reason Hate stared you. into my uh, into my very being. <laughs> But maybe it doesn't like podcasts. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah, it's, a, it's a house of creatives there, you know, actually making music and beautiful makeup and stuff. Whereas I come here um, and just talk about the yeah. things that they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me criticize the thing that I would never be able to do. Yeah. Come here. Yep. Good. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, uh, the cat in the film though, it needs to be trapped because it's messing with the trackers and it could do it again, causing a danger to the crew. Uh, so Harry Dean Stanton, it's his job to uh, to go and get it. And uh, he sets off to go do it. And then he goes into this, I don't know, this weird, like massive chamber again, where it's, it's raining, it's full of hanging chains and these big engines. And it, I don't know, it, it kind of looks a bit jarring for me because I don't think there'd be something that big and rainy inside an engine, but I'm willing to completely forgive it because it absolutely looks just incredible. But uh, Stanton goes and he finds the uh, the cat, but the cat starts sort of backing away and getting uh, a little bit hissy because there is an alien that sneaks up behind Stanton. And again, we only see it a little bit, see the head and the mouth before 
it basically grabs him. Uh, Ripley and Yafe Koto run in, and the rain that's in there turns to blood, which is gross, but also just a great way to highlight how threatening this this alien is. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my favorite bit of that scene though is when they cut back to the cat, and the cat's got this. I don't know how or how, but the cat's got this look at, that goes. This is an interesting situation. Yeah. I like it. Terrifying cats. <laughs> like, I was going to say, like, it's sort of hissing at him. And then when this happens, it cuts back to the cat. And the cat's going, hmm. It's like me and the Again, mice. <laughs> that's for sure. Like, they, 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 this cat is careless throughout the whole movie. He couldn't care less what happens to any of the others. It would have surprised no, me if the cat no. thought that uh, it was a human sacrifice for him. <laughs> yes. Look, the way that the uh, the alien just drags him away. So it's yeah, great uh, kill in quotation marks. We'll, we'll get to that later. Um, well, the, the the thing that I actually like the most about that scene as well is that be- before actually the alien reveals, he picks up the you know the skin that has been shedded. Yeah, which kind of. You get to that point of just, oh, hang on, is this, is it going to be, it's going to be in here? And that, you know, that's kind of a nice moment as well. The the skin that's shed as well, it sort of gives you that heads up that we're not dealing with the same thing that the little alien that just legged out of someone's chest. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, when the, the stuff that we do see of the alien as well just drives that home in that it's, it's a different proposition now. Yeah, it's a heck of a growth. If if I had one pick at this movie, I would have had a middle before the end. Yeah. Um, as far as growth concerns, because it goes really just go from tiny little thing to gigantic man alien. I mean, <laughs> you buy clothes for your kids, Mark. I mean, you must know that that, that happens <laughs> realistically, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's a slow growth. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not they come out as babies and then no, I was two, I was giving it a whole grandparent. Oh, don't they grow fast? I suppose they do. I'll 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 just be the you know quirky grandparent to the alien instead. Okay. I'll bite a mug with its um, name on for its birthday. Already? Yeah. Back to the uh, back to the film. <laughs> We uh, we find out that the alien is using the uh, the air vents on the ship to to get around, which perfectly makes sense because everyone knows in any movie, air vents will get you to anywhere that you need to go. And they come up with a plan which sounds perfectly good and reasonable, and that they'll cover all the uh, the entrances and exits to the vents, drive the alien up to the airlock, and then blast it out into space. Uh, the team goes goes out to carry that out. And it's Tom Skerritt's job to go into the vent uh, with the flamethrower because he think it might be affected by temperature, uh, just to basically close all the gates as it goes and then get it gone that way. Uh, so he, he goes in there, sort of moves around a little bit, and then they think that the alien is in the third section, uh, which is just where he's got to. And they lose signal on him, uh, on the alien, and then we see the signal moving very quickly towards uh, Tom Skerritt. And 
at this point, he, he tries to run, he tries to climb some ladders, and you can sort of see the panic on it. And again, we sort of just see not much of the alien and it creeps up on him. And again, really great little jump scare. And the, also, I, I would say probably the most surprising kill of the film for me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's set up from the beginning as the captain of the ship and sort of movie knowledge tells you that that guy's supposed to last to the end. Yeah, but he, yeah. He I mean... Yeah, sorry. And, uh, yeah, so the uh, the crew, rest of the crew, go to uh, to look for him and... Yeah, they, they find nothing there. They just find the uh, the gun, the, the flamethrower, uh, but no body and not even any blood. Uh, but they decide to carry on with the plan because, like we say, we think it's a good one and also the escape shuttle, which is looking like the more sensible option now, uh, doesn't have enough for four people, so they, they can't uh, get away in it. Uh, and then this point... Ripley is uh, is commanding officer, and she goes in to speak with Mother, who is the computer that uh, operates the ship. Uh, she tries to useless computer. <laughs> well, she uh, she tries to find out what's going on, but the uh, machine's basically saying it's classified. Can't tell you. Uh, eventually, as she is commanding officer, uh, she overrides the uh, the confidentiality that she's being met with. And mother tells her that the science officer's job is to ensure that the specimen is returned to Earth for inspection. Uh, all other priorities are secondary and the crew are expendable. So it basically just tells us that Ash is a wrong one. Uh, and, but he pops up and he says, don't worry, there's an explanation. Uh, Ripley doesn't want to hear it. And then Ash turns on her. It uh, starts beginning uh, dragging her around, uh, goes to grab a hair at some point and just rips it out of the, the roots uh, and starts sort of sweating this white fluid. He knocks Ripley out and then in oh, just a horribly brutal moment, he rolls up a magazine, sticks it in her mouth and he's basically just about to just crush her throat with it. Uh, the rest of the crew come in and uh, Yafe Koto hits him with a fire extinguisher and his head just breaks clean off. And we find out that Ash is a robot. It's, it's sort of at, at this point, particularly me, that it stood out with the whole thing with Mother, not everything being not quite right with Mother's orders, etc. And then the whole Ash thing turning. It's very reminiscent of uh, 2001 of Space Odyssey with Hal. There's obviously Hal is just one unit with, of course, like these two separatist kind of units. It was very much like this eerie computer android kind of thing turning on everybody. Yeah, it's kind of it's in that very... grand tradition of not trusting, uh, you know, and, yeah, anything android, artificial yeah. intelligence, and and the like. Because I think, yeah, we're, yeah, I mean, we're kind of realizing that humans cause yeah, a lot of problems sort of now, anyway. So maybe they were right to think that, you know. Problems would be solved if it weren't for humans. 
I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this whole scene for me is my scariest scene. You know, aside from the alien, the, it's the whole kind thing of the, is very uh, um, the, the silent but violent. Like, oh, there's actually two threats now. It like it doubles the jeopardy, doesn't it? Yes, it's um, and especially when they sort of take him out and all the milk starts kicking off everywhere and. You know, he's got no, he's still fighting headless and stuff like that. And it's like, for me, even because I, I remember, I think I might have seen this quite young, that that was the scene that really, yeah. and that the I other, really didn't like, like. Not only <laughs> is it, you know, like we said, like making the, the jeopardy of the alien worse, but like it's this so far unstoppable killing machine. And it's being helped by a robot who is kind of an unstoppable killing machine at the same time. Uh, yeah, it's. I think again, I probably like you. I felt more of the impact on it on this viewing uh, because it's it just like you said built up and you know gave us this extra threat. And also, you know, I, I kind of had the realization that you know the capitalist machine will will not stop and will will happily kill you all in the search of better weapons. There's it's, it's, it's one thing as well that that sort of that you mentioned, Matthew, and so, as you said, Mark, with the whole something like not being quite right, particularly that as you said, the whole brutality of the rolled up magazine getting shoved down the throat is incredibly sort of it's not it's not a typical thing you see from an android killing a person. It's usually throttling or beating. It's this. It's just something. It's weirdly horribly, graphic, isn't it? It's it, yeah. It's unsettlingly graphic in that respect. It's, it's yeah. It's it's very yes, off-putting. It is, yeah, yeah. It's it's it sort of comes around to one of the things I've been saying on the podcast before. Like sometimes deaths and stuff like that in horror movies are not affecting because there's no likelihood of that happening to you. Whereas because this is despite the fact that they're in a spaceship and stuff like that, ultimately it's just, well, we don't know he's an Android at this point, but it's just two people and one of them's killing the other one with a magazine. And it's like, you know, it's awful. It, it, it's, it's awful. And it does like, you know, despite the fact that that's never happened to me, it's, I can watch it and go, I don't want that to happen to me, you know, and I can sort of feel it. And you can make a yeah. good guess as to what that would be like. Can't yeah. You? It's uh, yeah, it's good as well. It's it's good film, isn't it? This (laughs) groundbreaking. uh... One thing that I did sort of really, if you say, great towards is like you mentioned milk coming out everywhere. The way that I described it was sweating sun cream, and the fact that it's been so hot these last couple of days made me just like the way I was looking at myself. It's just like I would have I've turned into ash from (laughs) alien in this. Yeah, kind of. It's the like, first time we've expressed sympathy yeah. for him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually, even though he's had his head clean, uh, cleanly wiped off, they plug him in, essentially, <laughs> uh, which is a pretty cool little moment. Uh, and they, they turn him on, and he basically just says, look, you can't kill this thing. It's the perfect organism. It's not worried about human morality. It's basically with just a, going to kill a, you all, and you with have a my very secret. creepy, distorted voice. At which point, basically, Ripley says, "The voice is unsettling." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the head 
yeah. stuck through the table separate from the rest of the body. Yeah. yeah. Ash, can you hear me? Ash! Yes, I can hear you. Was your special order? You read it. I thought it was clear. What was it? Bring back life form. Priority one. All other priorities rescinded. There's a damn company. What about our lives, you son of a bitch? I repeat, all other priorities are rescinded. How do we kill it? There's got to be a way of killing it. How? How do we do it? You can't. Bullshit. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. It's structural. Perfection is matched only by its hostility. You admire it. I admire its purity. A survivor. And all clouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. Look, I'm, I've heard enough of this, and I'm asking you to pull the plug. Last word. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. Uh, and so, yeah, basically Ripley at this point just goes, fuck it, I'm going to blow up the ship then. <laughs> so she melts Ash uh, with the flamethrower and goes to get the shuttle ready to uh, to escape and then blow the ship up. <laughs> uh, she finds a cat, okay. which is safe, thankfully. And sends, uh, yeah, Cotto and uh, Cartwright off to uh, to go and get basically fuel for the the shuttle. And while they're off there, they run into something, and would you know it, it's the alien. And again, we get a, another sort of good alien moment here, in that he kills uh, Yaffe Cotto with his little mouth out of his regular mouth, and then we kind of see the tail sort of reach around the back of Cartwright and you know we assume that he's killed we don't actually see it but we just see that that tail going up so we kind of get an idea as there's a lot of weapons on this uh, this monster uh, and when they do it it basically means as well there's only Ripley left and she tries to run there to save them but she gets there too too late and basically goes off to set off the emergency destruct uh, process going. And this thing takes ages. Like, I really felt this thing just being like, I know you. it's a terrible idea in practice, but you really just want a button she can press just to go, press, get out of there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although I actually thought watching it, it was, it's so, it's stupidly well designed, really, because obviously a self-destruct sequence would be, tricky yeah you yeah know. you've got to make sure you're doing it 
properly, aren't you? It gives you enough enough time while doing it. To yeah, sci-fi movies in general make <laughs> the self-destruct. Maybe this isn't the best easy. idea. Like, anybody could just lean on it by mistake and blow up the whole ship. <laughs> yeah, it's the old, uh, the old Mission Impossible self-destruct. But, yeah, she, it, she does get it going eventually. Uh, and then on the way back to the shuttle to make the escape, she finds Tom Skerritt and Harry Dean Stanton that are just sort of held against the wall by some kind of goo, gluey mess. And they're in a really bad way. Uh, Scary just asks her to kill him, so she just flamethrowers the shit out of him. Uh, so moves on again onto the uh, to the shuttle and runs into the alien. And this moment is, oh, it's scary. It's like you see the alien. There's a strobe it's, light going off. Uh, Sigourney Weaver just sells. Well, this 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 whole scene is, as you mentioned, with the the like everything is incredibly stressful. In in the in the fact that, as you said, there's a strobe light. There's the countdown of the self destruct going on. The music is incredible. There's an alarm going off. There's a strobe light. There's every bit of noise you could possibly imagine here. Come here that with this big creepy alien thing in front of her. It's, it's it's incredibly unsettling and stressful at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's panic-inducing, isn't it's it? It's insane how I, I was I was watching it and just being like enthralled by how gripping everything was. You know, it, it's it's frantic. Yeah, but and and again, when she sees it there in the shuttle, <laughs> it just adds another layer because now she has to leg it back to the uh, to the self-destruct to try and turn it off. Only to find out that it's too late. Uh, Seconds yeah. too late. So she has to go back to the shuttle again, but thankfully the alien's gone. No alien to be seen. So we can relax. Nice and easy. So she sets off the shuttle, takes a chance to uh, to get picked up and looked after. And then she gets off and we see the ship blow up. So Ripley uh, takes this moment to relax. She drops trow. And oh no, the alien's there, but it's sort of sleeping in the vent, in the uh, the vents, uh, which gives Ripley enough time to sort of leg it, hide among the uh, the spacesuits that she's got there. And she, while she does that, she sort of quietly puts on a spacesuit and grabs a harpoon, and then straps herself into uh, to one of the chairs that's there. Uh, she starts pressing buttons, and the noise of, of her doing that wakes up the alien. But too late for the alien. So Ripley opens a hatch, and the alien gets sucked out into the vacuum of space. But while doing it, grabs the uh, the door to, uh, to stop being sucked out. But Ripley shoots it with a harpoon so that it lets go and then drifts out. But then it grabs onto the side of the ship, starts climbing back in, and it grabs onto one of the engines. But Ripley manages to uh, set the engine off and blow it away. So, like, even the, the kill, it takes like three goes to, to knock this thing out <laughs> after you already thought you were safe. And it's, <laughs> yeah, great movie monster. The only effect in a movie that I think looks a bit dumb 
you know, where, where it slams back up against yeah. the the door when it's holding onto the harpoon thing. It's the only, the only time it, it where I go. Eh, it's I, I thought that the uh, the bit where he climbed out of the vent at this bit was kind of the only thought time where I thought which if uh, if you do see pictures of the guy in the suit like it, it, it loses a lot of the terror when you uh, you yeah, don't see it shot I, 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 I did I did I always found it very curious and again yeah, me watching yeah. it this time just why it was just led there in the <laughs> vent like it was just lifeless yeah, that's what I thought. Or maybe I always thought it was it or something like that, but it was kind of just like uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Big day of killing. Yeah. yeah. It's only a few it's hours only old. a kid, remember? Yeah. <laughs> He's excited by the day. <laughs> you need to give him a little Capri Sun and uh, maybe a fun size Milky Way, and he'll be right. The, 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 one, the one thing, actually, that, that, that should probably be mentioned but, in terms of. Uh, H.R. Geiger's design of the alien is insane. It's like insane. he also he did the whole star the whole starship at the beginning as it's, well, and the alien went in the you know in the planet. It's just the, the design is incredibly scary, the gothic in that respect. Yeah, all of it looks real, oh, creepy and. Yeah, it's, it's just just a great looking film in in all regards, isn't it? and yeah, a, a big aspect of that is the look of the alien, which is yeah, a, a great uh, a great great design. And but yeah, that, that's that's pretty much the film though. Uh, Ripley records a ship log, says all the crew are dead, but you know if she's lucky, she'll get picked up and uh, she'll be all right. Uh, and then the uh, the credits roll. Oh yes, Jones is okay as yes, well. Yes, Jones is okay. The cat uh, caused so much of this bother. <laughs> got away as all evil cats are, are want to do. <laughs> so I don't know. Does anyone uh, have anything they want to say before we get onto the re- the rating and review? Well, the only thing I'm going to say about this and. I don't want it to come across as a controversial opinion because I don't think, I'm not sure whether it is or not. This is a movie that I recognize as a good movie and I don't dislike watching it, but I also, it doesn't, I, I wouldn't add it into my list of films that I would watch. You know, I wouldn't make it into a top 10 or something like that for me. And I don't, I don't even know really what I'm saying about what, why, why, I think. Would you say that you maybe intellectualize it rather than feel it? Um, so I think I, I, um, I certainly have that with, with a lot of films where I can sort of see how good they are, but they don't sort of, they just don't trigger that emotion. Yeah, I think there is that, but I don't. I think the slow build-up at the beginning doesn't have the effect on me that it should have. Um, or it, it, I don't, I don't know if there it's is that, a, that title a, card sort of coming in, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. already annoyed right at the beginning. No, cause I feel, I feel like it does have a really slow build-up. Um, and I think for me, it just takes a hair too long to get where it's going. Um, I can't see where you're coming from, but 
Definitely take the point. But I'm not like, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad film because it is obviously an amazing film. Um, it just doesn't, I don't know what it is about it that just doesn't sit with me as as as, as a film that I would add to a list of anything. Although I messaged you this earlier in the week, the effects in this stand out like there's no tomorrow. Like it, it's amazing. Um, you know, the alien is brilliant. The ship is designed so well. And um, I was glad to note that this time we, well, I don't, that we all picked up on the normality of the ship, which I thought was really, um, really interesting. I've never even really noticed before. It never occurred to me before how Mm. it's a sci-fi setting, but a working class environment. Yeah, I think uh, think a lot of sort of Ridley Scott's films at this time kind of, Certainly, you know, when he was doing sci-fi, like Blade Runner as well, is pretty much the the only film that I'm, I'm saying here that it does have that. Uh, just, just it's sci-fi for the sake of being sci-fi. There's nothing that it needs to be. You know, like I say, you could set this as a monster movie on a you know a sea, just on a boat full of cargo. You know, you could set Blade Runner just on a, a standard police. Uh, procedural film uh yeah it just creates these worlds that that elevate them yeah i thought actually a couple of the only sort of interesting facts i had about it was originally this was going to be a roger corman movie um that was where the script was going it was just going to be made as a schlocky i like roger corman but i'm glad he didn't get this (laughs) No, no, and it eventually made its way. It made its way, you know. To I didn't write all the details, but to like another production company, and they were, and, and the writer was like, "Well, I'm going to sell it to Roger Corman," and they were like, "Just give us a couple of weeks." Um, but I'm not going to go into everything now. But there is a making of this on YouTube, which is really interesting because the the studio got heavily involved in it, and they were trying to almost rewrite it to the point of you don't own this anymore. Um, but it didn't, it didn't work out that way. But they did add in the character of Ash. Which is an incredible addition. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I was probably just while we're on saying that. So it is a, a Fox production. So it is available which, on Disney Plus which, in the UK. If Adam does want to watch. Uh, the Xenomorph technically is a Disney princess in this point. If you really want to add into the archie of Prometheus and everything else like that, <laughs> and well, yeah, well, there, there is a xenomorph queen, isn't there? In aliens, so yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so we we will get on to the uh, to the uh, rating and review after the uh, the Facebook comments. Just get that uh, for us now. I don't think we uh, we got too many on this one, surprisingly. Uh, yeah, we just got the uh, the one from Alistair, the uh, the ever reliable Alistair, uh, who called it a true classic, uh, atmospheric and claustrophobic, and it stands toe to toe with any other horror. And he's one hundred percent correct. It's yeah, pretty much exactly what we've said through the podcast. Uh, so uh, yeah, on to uh, to the review. So this one is rated at an eight point five on IMDb. 
uh, has a 98% critics and 94% audience score on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and a 4.3 on Letterboxd. And it also features 93rd place in their your best films ever list. So the uh, the consensus is that it's very good. Wow. And uh, we, we have a, a three-tier uh, review system here. So we've either got that it's shit, uh, ooh, that's scary, or the full creative psychopath. So we'll we'll let you do the honors hmm. first, Andrew. What are you saying? I would, I, yeah, you see, I would probably go for the full, the the, the full score of the ooh, it's a psychopath because creative psychopath because it it, it really is a like the creature itself, particularly if it's as as they mentioned an organic life form. It really just make it a psychopathic mentalist, really. I would put. It, I would. I. I. I like Alien. I will put it as a. It's the highest rating. Yeah, I. I will also say creative psychopath. <laughs> yes, me too. Although, I do like the um, ooh, it's a psychopath. Is that, I guess that's like four stars out of five, isn't it? Yeah, I do like. <laughs> no, it's it, it's a creative psychopath. There's, you know, whatever you want to take from it. Like I say, I think the the things that I pick that I were picking at was nothing and and you know something and nothing should i say so yeah it's such a well-made movie um and you can't and the thing that i've enjoyed is which I always enjoy with the podcast is going back over it i probably will enjoy it more next time um because it is nice to pick it apart and talk about i always the things find that you that like it's, uh, yeah. you know it's it's always good when you you know you do pick at it as far as it'll go. You take all the pieces apart and then they still fit back together. You know, that's, that's when yeah. you know you're on something good, isn't it really? Right. So uh, that was the filling in the horror sandwich. Um, so the last two questions we've got for you here, Andrew, are what's a scary moment for a non-horror movie that you remember? <laughs> I, uh, I have two. Uh the one that the one that used to scare the hell out of me when I was a kid was in a space. Oh, um. The uh, the film with was it Jim? No, Jim Peebles. What was his name in it? Who was in in a space? Uh, Martin Short and what's his name? Yeah, yeah, anyway, it's a good. But, movie, yeah, there was yeah. something to do with somebody potentially being in my body in a tiny spacecraft that used to scare the hell out of me. Child, yeah, yeah. The other one, the other one was actually Skeletor from the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> I don't know why it was a terrifying looking thing. So yeah, no, th- yeah. those are actually good ones. I'm yeah. gonna have to look up in the space because I oh, it was Randy Quaid, wasn't it? Randy oh, Dennis, uh, Dennis Dennis Quaid. Quaid. That was it. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So the last question is: If you could make a non-horror movie a horror movie, which would you choose? <laughs> Toy Story. I would oh, choose yeah. Toy Story. Yeah. Because yeah. let's be fair, it's not that far off from child's play to start with. <laughs> it, and it has that it has that decent horror moment in it anyway. Yeah, yes, it does. I mean, you could, all you have to do is just turn the, you know, Woody and Buzz Lightyear into psychopaths and all of a sudden you've got an instant horror movie. So, you know, Toy Story choices. would be make. Or Shrek, for similar reasons. So, Yeah, lovely. Good shout. Well, I think we've got to plug what we need to plug. So uh, if you do want to uh, 
say to join in with the discourse uh, we do have a facebook group which is creative psychopaths a horror movie podcast uh, very important to find the uh, the full thing because the original group got uh, got zucked and if you want to follow us on instagram and twitter we're both on there just search for creative psychopaths and you'll be able to find us uh, if you want to find me i'm at i like dumb movies and uh andrew do you uh, do you have anything you want to plug nothing for me i have nothing to plug <laughs> we must nothing. ruin your horror sandwich though before before we go anywhere i must ruin your horror sandwich i've, I've got to do that um the sauce inside is alien blood, so that'll be nice. <laughs> android milk. Oh. From the teat of an android. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it then. Uh, you plugged all the social Beautiful. medias. You should go up, follow the Instagram because you can see the alien picture I've been doodling this whole time. Yeah, the, uh, the, the <laughs> artwork that's going up for the podcast is... It's starting to hit its stride now, and uh, it it's going to be a good one for this episode. Oh, oh, oh yes, yes, it will be. Yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah, um, well, you've said everything. So the last thing to say is bye. All right, bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.